All right, just a quick note about an upcoming event. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is hosting its first podcast meetup on March 2nd via Zoom. The theme of the meetup is Podcasting Through the Pandemic and will feature Saskatchewan podcasters discussing their experiences podcasting during COVID-19. From new safety procedures, technology changes, mental health challenges, and cultural considerations, there will be some amazing insight into what podcasting has really been like during COVID-19. There will also be an opportunity to learn more about the Saskatchewan Podcast Network and the state of podcasting here in the province. To sign up, I'll put a link to the event in the episode notes, or you can go to any of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network social media accounts to register. Once again, that's Podcasting Through the Pandemic, a Zoom podcast meetup event on March 2nd. Hope to see you there. The Talking 306 Podcast is a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, which is supported in part by Connexus Credit Union. Savings, checkings, GIC, budget, RESP, RRSP, TFSA, mutual funds, credit score, emergency funds, variable versus fixed rates, compound interest, retirement. The list goes on and on. It's time to make sense of it all. At Connexus Credit Union, they want to help. Financial literacy is a critical life skill, giving you the knowledge and confidence to make smart, responsible decisions about your money. Visit connexusmoneytalk.ca to find expert advice, tips and solutions for all life stages and events, and increase your financial literacy knowledge and confidence today. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported in part by Direct West. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Things like updating your Google listing, thinking of a headline for a billboard, or making sure your website is in good shape? That's where Direct West comes in. You can get local, expert marketing help for your business at directwest.com. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported this month by the Saskatchewan Ministry of Highways, and they're making sure that we're careful on highways this winter, especially in snow zones. Snowplows pull over every 10 to 15 kilometers for you to pass safely. Please treat snowplows the same as you would an emergency vehicle. If a plow is pulled over and has lights flashing, Slow down to 60 and pass with caution. It's not a race. Give some space. Pass snow plows safely. If you're out on the highway this winter, if you're going somewhere in the province, check the Saskatchewan Highway Hotline before traveling. Visit saskatchewan.ca slash snowzone for more information. Welcome to the Talking 306 Podcast part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm the host, Dale Richardson. On this episode of the podcast, my guest is Jade Roberts. Jade is an Indigenous podcaster, educator, and artist, and the host of Still Here, Still Healing, a Saskatchewan podcast that shares the stories of residential school survivors. I spoke with Jade last week about her life including growing up in LaRange and her family's diverse history, her experience moving from LaRange to Saskatoon and her teaching career, how her father's experience in residential school inspired her to start a podcast, the residential school survivors and guests she speaks to on her podcast, intergenerational trauma, how we can keep growing podcasting in Saskatchewan, and much more. My name is Dale Richardson, 
and I'm the host of the Talking 306 podcast, and this is my conversation with Jade Roberts. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's my week off right now for from teaching, yeah. so I'm trying to like balance between relaxing because I'm off, but also like getting work done on all the other projects that I do, so I'm like... I don't want to work this week. I'm supposed to be resting and just relaxing, but I'm like, I have so many other projects on the go that I just like, I know I need to get some work done. What else are you doing? I know that you're doing lots of art and selling prints these days. What else do you have going on? So artwork, yes. Um, Doing that, selling some prints. And then my podcast, I have a recording scheduled for Friday. So I'll be doing that. And then I'm also working on a project right now with the Saskatchewan Archaeological Society. They have a, I guess it's like a slideshow. It used to be like an in-person exhibit, but they created it into a slideshow and they needed somebody to narrate it. And it has like Cree language in it. And it's it's all about the rock paintings that are up north, like where I'm from. Hmm. So they reached out to me to, I guess, narrate those slides. And there's like hundreds of slides. So I've been working on that project for them right now. Great. That, yeah. sounds, that's, that, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a cool opportunity that like came up. And I guess like that's what happens when you're podcasting. Yeah. And, you know, people know what you're up to and so yeah, it was just a cool opportunity that came up and I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to, that's yeah. <laughs> that project that you're working on. That sounds really great. Yeah. I've actually been learning a lot from it too, because I've always known that like there's rock paintings up North where I'm from and I've seen pictures of them, but I've actually never gone to like see them in person. And so I'm going through all these slides and I'm seeing all the like pictographs and stuff and all the history that's there. And I'm just like, it's so interesting. How far north are we talking? So I'm from Larange. I grew up yeah. in Larange. And then they would be like the some of the rock painting sites are just north of Larange at on the Churchill River. Right. So I think there's like 70 known sites on the Churchill River. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now that sounds really cool. So I want to talk lots about your podcast. One of the things, it's not a mistake, but so I think I've done episodes with other Saskatchewan podcasters. I think I've, this is the fourth one that I'm doing now. The first three, when when I would listen back I, and I looked at, at them, they're the longest podcasts that I've done. And I think it's just because, you know, when you talk to other podcasters, you have so much in common and such an interest, you know, a great shared interest. So I don't want to say that I, I don't want to talk too much about you, but I, I think your podcast is so important and really great. So I don't want to I want to have enough time at the end to to talk thoroughly about it because I have a lot of questions, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot that we can talk about. But I'm hoping at the at the start is as you may know with with my podcast I like to talk talk about my guests' life history a bit. So I'm just hoping you can do that for me. So set kind of set the stage for for what your life was like growing up and and about your family. Yeah, so I'm Woodland Cree and I grew up in Larange, which is in northern Saskatchewan on Treaty 6 territory. And I come from like a very mixed family. I know I identify as being Woodland Cree. My mom is actually, so her family are black settlers that came to Saskatchewan like long ago. So we uh, come from a black family. Uh 
And then my dad, obviously a Cree person. And then we also have some mix of European ancestry in there. So I'm just a whole <laughs> mixture of a lot, but I do identify as being Woodland Cree. And that's, that's kind of how I was raised growing up in the North. Yeah, I guess that's a little bit about me and where I'm from. I... Jade, tell me, tell me about your mom and, and, and your history on that side. Cause you, you posted a photo of your, your great aunt, you said. Yeah. So, and, she's, and she's black, like clearly. So t- what's the story on, on, on that side? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's something that like not a lot of people know about me, but I grew up very close with that side of my family. And so the history that we know in our family, there's, there's not a lot, we can't trace it too far back. But I know that my great grandfather moved to Saskatchewan in 1910 as a baby with his parents. And they settled outside of Prince Albert and had a farm there. And then as my great grandpa got older, he ended up marrying a white woman from the area and had 12 kids, one of them being my grandpa. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting history. It's something, you know, I have this audio cave. This is so cool, but I have this audio clip of my great grandpa. I never got to meet him. And I have this audio clip that someone in our family found it. And I'm like, this is so cool as a podcaster to like, have this audio to listen back to. And it's, it's, you know, I podcast because I want people to have those stories forever. And so it's so cool to have this clip. It's like an hour long of my great grandpa talking about what it's like to be black living in Saskatchewan and raising his family here and stuff. And I think it, my one of my family members found it in uh, the archives and we just got our hands on it. I don't know what it was for. I don't know who recorded it, but I have that. And, you know, it gets circulated around my family because I think a lot of us are still learning our history of, of our family. Where do you guys think your, your grandpa's family came from in the States? It would have been like Ohio area mm. is what we think yeah. yeah wow yeah you know it, it it's really interesting because i have a friend that I, I didn't go to the same high school as her, with her but i i know somebody from saskatoon so th- this month is is black history month of course and she her her ancestors like her great i think same very similar story to you her great grandfather settled i think near north battleford and black and the history is incredible Mm-hmm. Yeah, so North Battleford is a, there's actually, I think it's called the Shiloh community right. out there. I actually just learned about this. And I, every time I pick up these bits of information, whether it's through social media or whatever, I always send it to my grandma. So I'm super close with my grandma. I text her and, and I'd be like, hey, I've found this like piece of history. We might be related to these people, whatever, whatever. And so I found out about, yeah, the Shiloh community and, and the people that came from Oklahoma and settled outside of the, I think it's like Maidstone, North Battleford area over yeah. there. And so now me and my, the church is still standing that the black people built. And so now me and my grandma want to take a road trip and, and go check it out. And yeah, you should. Yeah, we, we're going to plan that when, you know, we, when COVID times yeah. settle down, because right now I can't see her. Yeah. Where does your grandma live? Still up north? She did live in LaRange for majority of her life, but she's back in Prince Albert right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, man, that, that is, I didn't know that about about your family. That's so interesting, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know. About, yeah, go ahead. I like, I identify as being a Cree woman, right? And like, yeah. that's 
you know, a big part of who I am is being Indigenous. So a lot of times people are surprised to hear that, oh, on my mom's side, this is this is the history. So yeah, what did what did your grand grandpa, what did your grandparents do? Great grandparents, I guess, what did they do for for work at that time? I'm pretty sure they just like had a farm outside yeah. of Albert. I'm not, yeah. I'm honestly not too sure. Wow. And what about your dad's side of the family? Yeah. So my dad's side of the family, that's would be like all my family from Larange area. I was close with them growing up, but then my dad passed away when I was 16. And I yeah. kind of, I don't want to say I lost those relationships, but the connection, you know, it's hard to keep up with, with family sometimes when you have that like huge figure that kind of keeps you guys all together. That's not there anymore. So yeah, my, I guess my relationships aren't where they could be with that side of my family. You know, I still try to keep in touch as much as I can. I actually don't, I don't get to go to Larange very often. My mom still lives there. My brother lives there, but I don't go there very often. I try to, but yeah. Yeah. The Roberts family, right? It's quite a quite a well known and quite a quite a big family in that community, right? Yeah, yeah. And and are you is are you dis, are you a descendant from Chief James Roberts? Yeah, we would be probably related somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Long yeah. I was, down the line. I was, I was doing a bit of research about it, and uh, yeah, there was there were some news stories a couple a couple of years ago. They put up put up a headstone where where they think his his gravesite is. Mm-hmm. It was actually uh, yeah. yesterday was Chief James Roberts Day in Larange. So, oh wow! Yeah. If you're if you're comfortable, can you tell me a bit about your dad? I know that he was obviously a really important to you, and I and I know that he 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 died in a in a quite a tragic way. So, um, just wondering if you can tell me about him and and his life because I know that he was a teacher, and of course that's that's also what you do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I grew up very, very close with my dad, and we are very similar people. And so losing him was yeah, tragic for me and, and my family and actually my whole community. So that's something I, I know I'm still I still deal with. And also, he was a residential school survivor. So he was a big influence on why I started my podcast. And I'm still, I talk often about like intergenerational survivors. And, you know, what we experience as the sons and the daughters of residential school survivors. And so I, that's something I talk about often. It's something I'm healing from, you know, doing the work to, to talk about those things and to break those cycles and, and just to bring awareness to other people about like, there's people like me, I'm only 26. I didn't attend a residential school but I'm still affected very deeply by that. But yeah, my dad was an amazing human. He was a teacher. He was a community leader where we're from. And it was a great loss to our family and our community. But yeah, He was a a band counselor, right? Yeah. So he was a leader in our community for nine years. And then shortly before he passed, he went back to teaching. And he was teaching, it's called a Northern Lifestyles Program in the high school and he got to take students like out to our cabins and you know teach them how to fish and teach them how to set nets and and stuff like that and like how to start a fire and so he was really doing what he was passionate about before he passed away yeah yeah and there's a and there's a hockey tournament now I I know named after after him every year right yeah so there's a hockey tournament named after him there's the school where he worked they also do uh, an annual it's the teachers versus students hockey game 
And they also have a cultural event. So it's like culture days at the high school and they're named in memory of him as well. And there's also a street named after him on our reserve. So yeah, he was a big deal. (laughs) It's uh, I sometimes get like, oh, you're like Jimmy Roberts' daughter. You know, I still get that sometimes. And so, yeah, makes me happy to know that I came from somebody who had such an impact on so many people. So I'm interested in why in you saying that you, you because of your, maybe not totally in, in part, but at least partially because of your dad's death, that you are, aren't as connected with your family there. Is, is that just out of just a place of pain where, where you just, because of the, because of the loss of your dad, it's just hard to, to connect with them and something like that, or, or, or is it just, yeah, because you live in Saskatoon now. So, I mean, obviously, you know, distance and, you know, Lorange, it's four hours still, right. Or three and close to four at least. Right. Yeah. So I think when my dad passed away, I really retreated to like my mom and, mm-hmm being around my mom and my mom's side of the family to help me through that. And so I guess maybe that's why I'm not as connected with my dad's side of the family. But yeah, moving definitely, that plays a huge part in it too. So I left my community when I was 18. Hmm. Um, I've been in Saskatoon now for about seven or eight years. And like I said, I don't get to go back very often. I know even in university, it was like, a struggle to get back because it's like it's money right to have to go to travel back home and then you're only there for two days and then you have to come back because you're in school and so yeah I just lost that connection somewhere along the way it's like I'm so far away from them and I have this like in my heart it's like I miss I miss my community and I miss my people and I know that I need to start doing better at you know getting back there and and rekindling some of those relationships with my family members yeah you know, but at a certain point, because I'm I'm from Saskatoon and I've I've lived in Regina for yeah eight years, so kind of similar kind of situation as you. You know, after a certain amount of time, the place that you're living in it just becomes home, right? You know, you you settle into into the life that you're living, and yeah, because for the first couple of years that I lived in Regina, I was you know very enthusiastic about going back to Saskatoon for weekends and visiting and seeing friends and. You know, now I'm connected to the people that I want to be connected with, and I'm very close with them. But yeah, we we kind of, you know, when we go up up to the lake, we kind of stop in for lunch or a bite to eat, and maybe a night every once in a while. But yeah, it's it's we always think that when we live somewhere else, we're gonna always go back, and it's yeah, it's it's harder than than we think. That's so true. I'm like Saskatoon is home for me now, and I've. I've built this community and this network here in Saskatoon and this is where I feel most at home and like even going to university I was huge into like the indigenous students councils and stuff like that so I started building that community here and now like these are my people these are my family my friends that like I just have here and I I'm comfortable with that did you did you because you you went in the in the ITEP program, the Indigenous uh, Teachers Program at the U of S, right? Yeah. Did you, were you direct entry in, into that program after after high school, I guess? No, <laughs> I yeah. have kind of a unique experience, I would say. I graduated. Please, Please tell it. <laughs> I graduated from high school a year early. So I was 16 when I graduated. Oh, wow. uh, 
that was kind of a promise that I made to my dad before he passed away. And I was like, okay, I better keep this now. So I ended up graduating early and then I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. I was like, why did I do that? Because now I have nothing to do. So I ended up when I was 17, 18, I, I just worked for a year and I played hockey and then I was like, I was still living in Laranja at that time. And I was like, you know what? I need a change. I was actually working for my band on reserve at a youth center. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this is not for me. I need to, you know, either go to school or move and find a different career path. And so I moved to Saskatoon and then lived here for a year before deciding to enter into university. So I guess that was kind of my, my path that I took wasn't directly out of high school, but I'm really glad I didn't go into university right out of high school. Yeah, no, I did the same thing. I took, I took two years off and I'm so, I'm so thankful for it. Mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of people that do that are, cause I mean, what do you really know? Well, like in your case, 16 or 17, what, what the hell do you really know what you're truly interested in? Right. And, and then it would be like, if I did that at 16 and I graduated with my B ed and I became a teacher, I'd be like 20 and teaching. Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. I had a teacher and, and I've mentioned this many times on my podcast because it, it's it still blows my mind. We had a teacher in grade eight. He, he was the student intern. Mm. But, but, but by the end of the year, because our teacher went on mat leave, he this guy filled in for probably about half the year. And we, of course, you don't know it at the time because teachers, when you're young, they seem, you know, ancient, even though they're not. This guy, one of my friends who now teaches with him, she said, you know, he was 21 when he was teaching you guys. And he seems so old, like he had a beard and, but they're just, you know, just kids. So it's so funny. I know. I even felt like, because I started my teaching career, I was 23, just turning 24. And I felt so young and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in charge of all these kids. And like, I can't even take charge of myself. And so- Sorry to interrupt you, Jed. Who? What grade did you teach when you when you were first when you first started teaching? Yeah, when I first started teaching. So I did my internship with grade yeah. one and two, and then I I was actually supposed to. I applied for a master's program in Arizona, and I had conditional acceptance to that. And then it just it fell through. It didn't work out, and I was really bummed about that actually. But it worked out, and I ended up getting a teaching job here in Saskatoon at Pleasant Hill, and. Mm-hmm. I was the Cree language culture teacher slash art slash gym or phys ed. So I was teaching every grade, kindergarten yeah. to grade eight, all, all the subjects. <laughs> so it was kind of like a hard role as a first year teacher. I was just kind of thrown in there. But and then also just working at Pleasant Hill has its challenges as well. But I I enjoyed it. I the only thing with me is I was feeling a little bit stuck. I was like, you know what, this is, it's a very hard career to be in. It's a lot of work. And I was feeling a little bit like maybe it was too quick and I'm not ready to be in this like full-time position. So I taught for the year. I stuck the year out and then I, I took a leave and I, I wanted to explore other options. I wanted to see what else I could do with my degree. I wanted to be more creative and, you know, explore my artistic abilities. And that also my podcast at that time was just starting. So I wanted to have more time to explore that a little bit. And so I took the year off. I was just subbing. I found some contract work with some other organizations. And then the beginning of this year, they were like, Pleasant Hill phoned me and they're like, we want you to come back. (laughs) And so 
I was missing it. I was missing those relationships with my students and, and the families and my colleagues at the school. So they offered me a halftime position and that's the position I'm in currently. So I'm yeah. teaching halftime. I'm still doing Cree language and culture and art. And yeah, it's, it's a good gig. A halftime yeah. is perfect. And for, and for all grades still, like kind of the whole school. I have three classes this year. So it's grade two and three, grade four and five, and grade six and seven. So just about the entire school. Yeah, it's like a wide range of, yeah. yeah. So, you know, thinking back to the years when I was in school, I, I don't, at least at the elementary school that I went to, I don't remember there being Cree language offerings. Mm -hmm. Is that, a, and maybe, maybe it, maybe it depends on the area of the city you're in it, it is Cree offered kind of like across the city now in Saskatoon or how uh, does that work because no. I think I think it's really good that that's yeah it's really good I actually so I grew up the elementary school I went to in Laurent we had a Cree culture program as well and it was just like normal to me and right. then I came to the city and you know, starting, started my teaching degree. And I found out like, oh, like not, not every school has that opportunity or has um, Cree language or any cultural based classes or courses in their schools. And so when I did my internship, I was at a school that didn't offer Cree language or culture. And so I just kind of put it into my curriculum anyways, like as I was teaching other subjects. But yeah, it's not offered at all the schools. It's starting to be, you know, a little bit better now. There's a lot more schools offering it. And I also think it like has to do with if that school has the funding or if that school has a teacher that's Indigenous that can teach it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You probably need to know the language to, to teach it. Yeah. So, yeah. well, even for me, it's like, I'm not fluent, but I, it's, I'm just so happy for the opportunity that I was hired in this role because sometimes I'm just learning alongside my students because I'm not fluent. And I make sure my students know that too. Like we talk about why I'm not fluent and you know, that stems back to residential schools. And so we talk about things like that and I tell them like, I'm learning with you guys. I don't know all the words. I don't know, you know, how to have conversations yet. I'm learning with you guys. So it's a, it's a really neat opportunity. Do they like that? Do they do they like their teacher being open and honest with them? Because I mean, of course, maybe it's 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 changing or has changed, but I think most students probably assume that their teacher knows everything about everything. Yeah. And <laughs> students, they definitely think like teachers know everything about everything. And I and sometimes they tell me that they're, they're like, well, how come you don't know this word? You must not be Cree or you must not like know it all. And I'm like, I don't know it all. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a it's a good way to build relationships when you're honest with your students. And for me, I definitely think relationship building is like number one when you're a teacher. Yeah, no, for sure. So, as I said, I, I have a, a lot of thoughts and questions about your podcast, but why don't we just kind of set the stage for it? So, I kind of forget when, when you and I first met each other, maybe, but I think it was probably around the time that I was launching the podcast network. Yeah. But we saw each other at that CBC podcast meetup in Regina, mm -hmm. and that was, I was talking with somebody... And they said, yeah, that was only like a year ago. Oh, it was with uh, James Avramenko from the Friendless Podcast. Said, mm. yeah, that was, that was like a year ago. What? I know. Like, 
free. <laughs> yes. But anyway, in, in the course of setting up the network, I came across your podcast and, uh, and, uh, and I think it, it's, it's so great and important. And so just to, I guess, explain what it is. So you, for the most part, and, and I know it, it, it kind of varies, but, but the general gist of it was you wanted to talk to, to residential school survivors and share their stories. And, and you said earlier that, you know, that it, that you want people to, to be able to listen to those stories and almost be like a, like a library, like an archive for, for those, for those stories. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so was that really the gist of getting it going was. There's a couple of reason. There's a couple different, you know, reasons or influences why I wanted to start the podcast. One of them, yeah, being I wanted to have kind of an archive where, like I just said, I thought it was so cool. I, I have this audio tape of my grandpa that I never got to meet. And, mm -hmm. you know, I want to have this like archive of stories for, you know, generations down the line when maybe they don't get to meet their great grandparent, but oh, there's a podcast of like my great grandma talking about her experiences. And so I wanted to have that, but I also started the podcast was influenced by my father who attended residential school. And when we were in elementary high school, we weren't taught explicitly what residential schools were we weren't necessarily taught like true Canadian history and Indigenous history. And so I had so many questions and I entered university and started learning about like these true, the true history of Canada. And I started learning about myself and I started learning about, you know, the things that happen in residential schools and what our people have been through. And so I had all these questions and this curiosity and I just thought, I want to turn to my dad like I wish he was here and I wish I could ask him things now that I'm you know more aware and more educated but he obviously wasn't around and so I wanted to talk to other residential school survivors and I just thought wouldn't this be such a good podcast idea and so that's that influenced me in getting it started yeah what do you know what do you know about your dad's experience there if if anything not a whole lot. I know that he attended in Prince Albert. He played on the hockey team, was a goalie. I know that him and so he has, there's five of them, the brothers, they all went to the one in Prince Albert. I also know that he attended the, I think it's the, the Timber Bay. They had a school there as well. Right. Um, but yeah, he didn't talk about really what he went through sometimes he would bring up like oh in the residence I used to play hockey or you know he never talked a whole lot about his experiences I knew growing up that he went to a residential school I didn't necessarily know what that meant and sometimes my dad would have a bit of an explosive anger <laughs> and maybe he wasn't always making the best parenting choices and so my mom would often say like oh like your dad is upset right now because you know that's just the way he is because he went to residential school and I'd be like right. okay I like I don't know what that means but okay <laughs> and so now as an adult I'm older and I know why you know and also speaking having the opportunities to speak to these other residential school survivors it it's starting to click for me now it's making sense you know how my dad moved through the world and you know who he was as a person and you know some of the struggles that he had it, it makes sense now yeah. So I, I was thinking about sharing this with you, with you, Jade. So 
one of the things that I have been thinking about recently, and I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days, because I went back and listened to your podcast again, you know, not to each episode, but, but a few just to, just to get ready for this. So, so you talked about intergenerational trauma and I want to talk to you about, about Dallas Pelly in a minute, but so for the, not for the longest time, but I can remember I went to school with a, to high school with a guy and I, I can remember he wrote an op-ed in the sheaf at, at the U of S. I think he was going into law school or he was in undergrad. Anyway, he signed the op-ed, he signed his name and then second or maybe it was third generation, a residential school survivor. And for the longest time, because I didn't know, I didn't understand it. I thought, you know, this is bullshit. There are so many other people in the world who have had something happen in their life and they're doing just fine. Mm -hmm. And a couple years ago, and, and I feel badly that it took me so long to, to figure it out, but it's part of the learning process in life. There was an article that, that I read about, about Holocaust survivors or families of people who had been in the Holocaust that had intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. And I realized there's no difference between these, between these two things. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, obviously the scale is, is, is different in terms of, you know, the number of people that died, but the effects of it are, are, are the same. And, 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 and I'm kind of ashamed that it, that it took me so long to, to figure that out. And it, and it's also, you know, part of my personal process is realizing that, that, that I have my own family trauma, you know, after going to, to therapy for a number of years, you figure out that, yeah, things happened to me in my life because of things that happened to my parents that happened to their parents mm-hmm. and happened to their parents. So I say all that by, by way of listening to, to projects like, like your podcast help me to, to understand things like that better because we didn't, we didn't learn about residential school stuff when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. We yeah. learned about, I can, I can remember we learned about, the, about Japanese Canadians. They were interred during the Second World War because people thought that that they were going to bomb Canada or something even it made no sense but so that's that's me being honest with you about about my process and and I'm so I'm glad that that I have a have a greater understanding of you know people in in this province and people like you and and your family mm-hmm. so yeah I just I was thinking about that recently for the last couple of weeks like since since we started talking about you coming on here so yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for that. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, a lot of people have that attitude and, you know, they're learning. And I think it's important to be understanding that people are learning. And I actually just spoke at a conference at UBC last month and I spoke on intergenerational trauma and what that is. And it's important for people to realize like it can happen to anybody. Like you just said, everybody can have intergenerational trauma. It's not yeah. just indigenous issue it's not just a black person issue anybody can have trauma that's intergenerational however it's important for people to realize that 
this is a large group of people we're talking about. This is an Indigenous population across Canada suffering from the same type of intergenerational trauma. And so it's important to realize like this large group of people suffered the same types of trauma. And now we're dealing with, with that, you know, and that's why it's, it's important to know that because then we can realize like why we have a bunch of social issues in the world that, you know, high suicide rates, high incarceration rates, high poverty rates. Why are we seeing Indigenous people overrepresented in those issues? And, you know, we need to know that it's a lot of it is stemming from that intergenerational trauma. And I think people don't realize that. People yeah. see the issue of high suicide rates, high incarceration high incarceration rates, but they don't see why that's happening. Yeah. There seems to be, do you, do you think, and, and maybe this is my, just my own perception of being, being more aware of it. Do you, do you think that that, it, that is evolving a bit, particularly in the last year or two, it seems, I, I don't know if the pandemic is kind of, you know, like with the, with the mental health effects of, of the whole thing, maybe people are just, are, a bit more understanding and and second guessing their, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what's going on here. Maybe there's something else happening. Mm -hmm. I do think people are, you know, doing a lot better with educating themselves and, and learning about these topics. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I also think, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and that movement that we saw all summer long, you know, really amplifies voices of color, you know, Black people, Indigenous people, and it's it's starting a conversation. So what we saw this summer with the Black Lives Matter protests, which is awesome. You know, we need, we need that because there's still so much work to be done. And, you know, Black communities and Indigenous communities face a lot of the same uh, struggles. And so I think people are, are doing a little bit better with, you know, having that understanding and, and doing their own learning. You told me once, I don't know where, maybe we were messaging on Instagram about it, or, or maybe it was when I was launching the the podcast network. You you told me that the hard, one of the hardest parts about the podcast is just getting people to share their story. Yeah. Is, so is that still the case? It's yes. I feel that, you know, we're still hurting so much. Our communities are still hurting. Our people are still hurting. And the people that actually went to a residential school, you know, and suffered that trauma, some of them aren't ready yet to talk about it. It wasn't that long ago, right? And yeah, yeah they're just some people aren't ready to talk about it. And that's fine. But yeah, I do find that it can be a little bit of a struggle to find people who are open to, you know, really share what they've been through. And also coming onto a podcast, some of that, the older generation, they don't know like what the yeah. heck's podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trust so, me, my dad's still, he, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes when too, it might be older people in my community and I say like, Hey, I'd love for you to come on my podcast. They might be like, well, I don't know what the hell that is. And, and yeah. so that, that's one struggle, but I think the main thing is people just aren't ready to talk about it. And, and that's fine. You know, we see a lot of people in our community that a lot of people in my own family that are still, you know, not coping in the best ways and they're not ready to, to open up and, and, you know, bear their, all their trauma to everybody. And so the people that I have had on my podcast, they, they've shared their stories in the past. It yeah. was, it usually wasn't their first time on my podcast to, to open up about that. So I've found people that yeah. 
were ready and, you know, they had really great stories to share. Yeah. That that was one of the things I was, I was going to ask it is, it seemed, it seems like at least based on my perception that, that most of the guests, like I'm thinking about, about Dallas Powley's mom and about, and about Frank Clinton, Mm -hmm. they, I think they both referenced the fact that, that they had both at least been in therapy or, or, or counseling. And yeah. That, and that of course is a, is a huge part. And then, and, and I think Dallas's mom, she's a, she's a public speaker, right. Yeah. A, about it. So. And who else? Oh, Marlene Bear was, she you yeah. know, she's a social worker herself. And like, you know, she has gone through therapy and I, I find the people that have been on the podcast, they've done some sort of uh, healing work, whether that's therapy or spirituality or, you know, just learning about their identity. And so that's so helpful when being able to share your story. So. And it, and is it, I'm assuming part of the goal of the whole thing for you and for the, for the survivors that you speak to, is it, is part of it to get these people on to, to encourage others that maybe not to be a guest on your podcast, but to, to talk about their experience and either go to therapy or to, to just talk out loud about it. It could yeah. be to a wall in their house or something. Yes, that is huge for me. It's like, I view speaking, like just saying things out loud, that's healing. Like being able to, to say what you're feeling, that's healing. And so when you hear other people sharing their stories, it definitely encourage, encourages others to, to share and to open up. And so, yeah, that is a goal. You know, that's a hope. I hope that maybe somebody listening here's one of the survivor stories and they think, you know, I could open up to about things that I've been through. And so that's, that's very important to me. The other thing too, is I also want, we see a lot of young people that are listening to podcasts. So people in their twenties and thirties, and I want them to listen to these stories as well. And, you know, they might have that, that aha moment, that click that says like, oh, like maybe this, maybe I'm an intergenerational survivor, or maybe this is why my grandparents are the way they are, or my parents, or, you know, maybe this is why our communities are struggling. And so that's a big takeaway too, is I want people to, to hear these stories and to have that, that piece of it's education, right? It's educational. Yeah. I I was struck by when, when I went back and listened to the episodes, I was struck by how, how you listen, and, and and I said at the top of of our conversation here today that one of the things that I am I'm constantly trying to improve on is just to shut up and not interject with you know mm-hmm, yeah yeah you know things like that right. And when I when I listened back to 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 the episodes you did, it's just I kept waiting for you to jump in with questions, but it was so nice to just hear them to talk, to just share their story. And I mean, some of, some of the, you know, kind of segments, they go on for like, like 10 minutes or more mm-hmm. of just them talking. And so and that, I liked it. I liked it. I like it. Yeah. That was when I first started my show season one, that was kind of, I don't know if it was because I was being shy or nervous and I didn't want to have my voice on the podcast. I was like, this yeah. show is not for me. It's not it's not for me, it's for the survivors. And so I, sometimes you could hear me asking a question in the background and I would just edit that out. Cause I'm like, 
I just want the, their story. And that's a that's a big thing for me too. I was actually just talking to my partner about this. So he's from Nigeria and yep. they are loud. And they, <laughs> when I hear him talking on the phone with his family, they're just like cutting each other off and they're just like so loud. And I'm like, I can't handle that. So I was telling him like, if we ever go to Nigeria, I will probably like visit all your family and I'll just sit there and listen. And he's like, oh my God, they're gonna just say like, why are you so shy? <laughs> and like, it's going to be so awkward. And I'm like, no, I'm just a listener. Like I like yeah. observing. I like observing people. I like listening to people and just sitting and being. And then when it's my turn to speak, I will speak. But yeah, I'm definitely a listener. And I want that to reflect in the podcast as well. I think it works very well. It yeah, really well. You know, it's funny. I, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. One of the reasons why I started my podcast was because I thought that that I had something to say. But then, of course, I do a podcast where I talk to other people and interview them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's funny how that works. So, so Dallas Pelly, so you you talked to him and his mom, Don, Donna, right? Yeah. So I went to high school with Dallas. And and I I think about him regularly because he's quite active on social media and, and his, his, his Instagram pages are great. And, you know, he's, I think a couple of years ago, he, he did a weight loss journey and, and it was really compelling. And, and now I think he's doing it again. And then since I realized that, that, that you guys were friends, I started, you know, thinking about him more. And I really loved listening to the episode with him and his mom, because it helped me to understand Dallas more and for me to reflect on when I knew him in high school and, you know, obviously, you, you know, it's so hard as a, as a, as a teenager to understand what other people are doing and what they're going through. But I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, I suspect Dallas probably had a tough time in high school mm-hmm. and I don't know if I, if I contributed to any of it, but I, I, he was in my drama class, I think, at least a couple of times. And then he was in, in the same gym class as me that I can remember. But hearing conversations like like the podcast that you did with him and his mom, I, I really liked it because, yeah, you understand people's history. And I didn't know that him, that his mom and their family moved around like like they did before they landed in Saskatoon and he went to Baden Bowman High School. I didn't know that. So yeah, I thought I thought it was really valuable to me. And and of course, yeah, you guys are great friends. And he's yeah, he's he's a good guy. I wish I saw him more often. I haven't seen him probably the last time I saw him, I think it was 2006. He he and I both worked at the same camp, summer camp. Oh right yeah. after high school. He was a camp counselor there. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, remember showing up. I, I I taught I taught water skiing there for the summer. And I remember showing up and being like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I think he said the same thing to you. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> interesting. Um, it's always interesting hearing those stories of people that you know, right? Like, I'm sure you listen to my podcast and like, you don't know any of those people I interviewed. But then yeah. when one pops up with Dallas on, it's like, oh, this is somebody I know. So it's, yeah. it can be very powerful to hear those stories of people that you are, you know, but yeah, Dallas is such a great guy. Oh my God. I love that guy. <laughs> where, where did you meet him? So we were both in ITEP. He graduated before I, me. 
And so I didn't know him very well when we were in university. We would have only, I would have been in year one and he would have been in year four graduating. So we didn't know each other very well. Uh, but then we were doing the U of S when I graduated, they do like the powwow yeah. for all the grads. And so we were at the powwow and the U of S was asking to take pictures of people. And so him and I were like doing this photo shoot together <laughs> at the powwow. And so that we kind of chatted then. And then from there, he was actually, he was working for Taking It Global, which is a nonprofit based out of Toronto that I also now work for, but mm. he was working for them at the time. And he kind of reached out to me and was like, Hey, we want you to come check out Taking a Global and, you know, we might have a job for you. And, and so we started connecting in that way through work. But when we were both working together at Taking a Global, we've had some amazing experiences. Like we've traveled up North to my community together, just him and I, and we were like, went to a meeting, but we've, we just hung out and we like, we're flying a drone and like, I don't know, we've had some, no. <laughs> some crazy experiences. We've flown to Toronto together to go to, you know, the largest film festival in North America. And, you know, that was a fun time and we've done a lot together and, and we just became really, really close friends through work. And I don't even consider him like a colleague. I can, he's like my brother. He's like my older brother. That's nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we could we could talk all all day about about our podcast and podcasting. What what do you think? Just th- thinking about podcasting in the province, I've asked my my previous guests this that are podcasters. What do you think we can do more? Should do more to grow podcasting in Saskatchewan further? Well, I think it's been growing like crazy here in Saskatchewan. Like. Yeah. And especially I've been seeing it with a network, like there's just tons of podcasts. And then I've been seeing it recently, like very, very recently, the Indigenous voices in podcasting has been growing crazy here in Saskatchewan. And I'm like, this is insane. It's awesome. Yeah. Because when I started out, I'm pretty sure I was the only Indigenous podcaster two years ago here in this province, you know, and also being a woman, there's not a lot of female voice in podcasting either. That's, that's true. Yeah. So that's something that's, you know, I think about often is like, we need more women, we need more women of color, and more indigenous podcasts. I know, there's, there's one in Regina that that you did recently, right? One based in Regina. Podcast. Yeah, the Comeback Society. So they have right. the podcast now, and they're doing really good. But yeah, there's like been a handful of them popping up. And I'm just like, this is awesome to, you know, hear our voices on this platform you know, as Indigenous people, we're, we're storytellers. We are, you know, oral storytelling and traditions have been in our culture forever. And so to kind of bring it onto this, like technology, bring it into technology and into this uh, world is like, it's amazing. And I always tell, like, I get to speak to kids across Canada about the podcast that I do. And, and so sometimes I'm, I'm reaching out to kids and like none of it and talking Mm. about, the importance of just having our voices and our stories told by us. And so I'm hoping to see more and more Indigenous podcasters would be awesome. And I think, yeah, we just do that by, you know, starting. Yeah. Like you just have to start. I often like, sometimes people will reach out to me and be like asking me all these questions and like they need advice. And I'm like, just, you just need to start, like, just do it. 100%. Yeah. The first one. Yeah. You you just need you need to just record your voice. So that's mm-hmm. the toughest thing for, for people. Yeah. There's like, I don't like hearing my voice. Well, I, you, you I said that at the beginning, I guess. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I'm still that way. And I tell my 
like the students I get to speak with too, I'm like, tip number one is just get comfortable with hearing your own voice because you sound so cringy and like, Oh, I know everybody hates their voice. So just deal with it and you need to record your voice. Cause that's what a podcast is. So yeah, yeah I guess that's one of the biggest tips that I give my the students I get to speak to is get comfortable with your voice, find topics that are interesting and that, you know, people want to want to listen to. Yeah. No, those are, those are great tips. Well, thank you for the, for the podcasting that you do. Where, where can people listen to your podcast? So right now my podcast is on Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. I also have a website that I usually post the episodes to. My website is jadelevyroberts.com. Mm. Who's, who's Levi in your family? Where did that name come from? That's a good question. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I have the same initials as my dad, JLR, but oh, yeah, okay. I okay. guess they just like the name Levi, I guess. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I always like hearing about family names. Okay. Still here, still healing. Spotify and uh, Apple and Podbean. So yeah, you must yeah. host it on Podbean then. So anyway, thanks for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And, and, uh, and you, you're recording on Friday, you said a new episode. So there'll be a new one coming out soon then. Yeah. I actually just partnered with the create to learn program, which is the program I was working part-time for, and they are sponsoring three of my episodes. Nice. So, yeah. That's nice great. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice to get community support for the, for the work that we do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Jade and uh, happy, happy podcasting. Thanks for doing this. See you. Okay, bye. That's it for this episode of the Talking Through Your Six podcast. Thanks to Jade Roberts for joining me. Please follow or subscribe to her podcast, Still Here, Still Healing, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. If you'd like to listen to other great Saskatchewan podcasts, don't forget to check out the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is the central home for over 30 local Saskatchewan podcasts. You can find those podcasts at saskpodcastnetwork.com. That's saskpodcastnetwork.com. Or you can follow on Facebook, Instagram, and now Twitter. Thanks to Connexus, Direct West, and the Ministry of Highways for supporting the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. And thanks to Path Cowork for sponsoring the Talking 306 podcast. That's it for this episode. See you next time.